Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore. CJ, how you doing this week? Jesse, I miss you. How are you doing? Good. I, I hear some uh, bathroom remodeling going on. It's exciting times in the Moore household, huh? Yeah, we've actually, we're on location today in Prairie Village at my mom's house because <laughs> there is bathroom remodeling and my dog is constantly barking at the poor workers. So I didn't think that was uh, going to be great background noise for a podcast. So I'm nice enough to drive over to my mom's house for you, for you, Jesse, and for the, mostly for the listeners. I just say it's for the people. You're a man of the people, the right? People. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I think your dog is doing its job. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. Intruders in the house, no matter if they're helping fix things up or not, not supposed to be there, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> At least they think they're doing their job. At least that's kind of what I've seen when my dog goes around and acts like it's, you know, 150 pounds when it's 15. But uh, that <laughs> that is dog life. That is dog owner life for you. But we're going to talk a little bit of KU basketball here after a, a few-week hiatus. A big news day. Let's start with that, CJ, uh, before we go any further. Uh, KU picks up a couple of players. One, Chris Tian, who's going to be a walk-on, the younger brother of Connor Tian. Obviously not as big of a story just because uh, the walk-on nature and KU was losing some walk-ons uh, won't contribute to the program in the same way as the next person will, which is uh, Cal transfer Charlie Moore. So we can kind of loop, kind of group these together because Bill Self had an announcement out today. These guys have officially signed uh, not only Charlie Moore from Cal, but also the Memphis brothers, uh, KJ and Diedrich Lawson, who uh, were a big signing from a couple weeks ago. So let's just start with them, CJ. Let's start with the Lawson brothers, actually, because uh, they brought up quite a bit of interest when they decided to choose KU. What do you know about them, and, and what do you think the fit will be with uh, Bill Self in Kansas? Oh, I had a chance to watch these kids a little bit on the AAU circuit. Um, you know, I was at Peach Jam a couple of years ago when they went on a run all the way to the championship game and ended up losing to uh, Isaiah Briscoe's team. And, you know, I've had a chance to watch them some at Memphis. Diedrich is really, really good. And I think he is in his probably one – I'm guessing he'll, he'll spend one year of eligibility, you know, as far as playing-wise at KU. He's a guy that could definitely be All-American, maybe even first-team All-American. I mean, he was – put up good enough numbers to, to be that this past year just played on a crummy team with 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 crummy guards so I think that is a is a huge get and I would argue getting a guy like Diedrich and you could consider him basically one and done is better than any probably any one and done freshman you could get while you know m maybe some some recruiting guys might argue that the, the the two power forwards at the top of that class, you know, they might end up being better. I don't know. They're 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 both really really good. I've I've seen the uh, the kid that's number one in the uh, the 2018 class. I actually did a story on him, Marvin Bagley. He's he's really really good. So I don't I don't know if Diedrich's, you know, his his ceiling is as high as as Marvin Bagley. But for one year in college basketball, I think he's going to be a tremendous player at Kansas. Kind of maybe be a Morris twin type. And then KJ, not quite as good, but you know, you could see him maybe starting, maybe coming off the bench, playing kind of a three-four type, and uh, you know, that's another just good get to to add to your depth. Yeah, just scouting the stat line on these guys, Diedrich, uh, it's it's pretty impressive. You go across, you know, a, a nice offensive rating, took on a huge offensive role for Memphis this last season. Uh, a guy that can score inside, he gets to the free throw line, he makes free throws, he has a low turnover rate, he blocks shots. Both these guys are really good rebounders, which is one of the things, top things that kind of stands out when you look at the statistical line. And then mm -hmm. Diedrich, you add in that he's a six foot nine guy and was 
uh, one of the tops on the team in assist rate, so a guy that can pass. So, uh, you know, we've kind of heard the Morris twin, Marcus Morris sort of comparison. I know how much you love Marcus Morris. Uh, so that that kind of has been thrown at, at Diedrich. And if, if KU gets that type of player, I'm sure lots of KU fans will be happy. The, maybe the one thing with his game that doesn't show up on the stat line is three-pointers. Uh, he shot 111 of them and only made 27%. But, again, he'll have a year off and, and might not even need to shoot a bunch of those threes to be, be a productive player. K.J. Lawson, again, a good defensive rebounder, but really struggled inside the arc. Uh, made 42% of his twos compared to 52% for Diedrich, and then also not a very good three-point shooter. So uh, a lot for him maybe to improve on his game to, to be that solid contributor that he wants to be. But, uh, yeah, Diedrich Lawson looks like the guy out of these two that, that really could be, like you said, uh, maybe at a, an all-conference type level once he steps on the court the, ne- the season after he sits out. And Diedrich, obviously the, the big thing he'll need to work on in his in his year off is three-point shooting and, and his jumper. But he's got a decent-looking jumper, and he's kind of streaky. I mean, there'll be games where he'll hit a couple, and then, you know, there'll be games where he's where he goes cold. But the, the shot's not terrible-looking. Um, you know, he's not a guy that's super, super explosive as far as athleticism goes, but he's a, he's a good enough athlete, and he just has really, really good feel for the game. And you talked about the passing he's probably the best passing big man KU's had since maybe Julian Wright I want to say like he's going to be really really effective in that high I mean he can post up and will be effective on the blocks as well but he's going to be effective in that high post area Um, you know if he's playing with Udoka I I know a lot of people are are projecting Udoka to just be there at KU one more year I'm not so sure I could see him being at KU a few more years so if let's say he's playing with the Udoka in a couple years you know, Udoka will really benefit from ha- having him in the high post area and being able to to get fed the ball. And, you know, he's a guy that he can rebound it and bring it up himself. He can do just a, a lot of different things and is, is really, really skilled and really good at using his body and kind of positioning himself. That's where you see the rebounding numbers are so high just because he knows where to position himself. He's got great hands. So he's, he's a guy I'm really excited to, to see play at K- Kansas because I think he's going to be a really, really good fit in the system. And, again, a top 70 shot blocker so that's another dimension that KU maybe missed a little bit last year you know Lan Lucas was a great position defender but KU's had some, some success some success excuse me in the past few years with guys that could block shots and kind of be rim protectors inside you add another one in there you know besides Udoka if Udoka's still around even if Udoka's not around you know you add one in there that that can protect the rim uh, that could be a good thing for Kansas defense uh, I think the big question mark you look at now is kind of what happened with the incident right afterwards uh, there was a snapchat video posted with KJ Lawson basically saying, uh, you know, F Tubby, uh, you know, Tubby yeah. Smith, the old coach at Memphis. You also, KU fans have seen this firsthand. And again, I'm, I'm not not trying to be unfair to these kids because this is a different situation. But, uh, you know, you've seen a situation where Xavier Henry and CJ Henry both came to Kansas. One brother played, one brother didn't play as much. There's a little bit of of off-the-court stuff going on there, a father who was kind of involved with things, kind of like, uh, you know, it seems like Keelan Lawson is uh, with his son. So, again, this is anecdotal. This is not saying the exact same thing will happen, but I think that might be the question mark with these two coming in is a matter of that they left Memphis uh, not on great terms because of this Snapchat video and what happened with that. And then also you wonder if a guy like KJ is going to accept maybe a little bit lesser role than what Diedrich is going to have just based off production. Now, if he plays really well and plays, then you won't have that problem. But you wonder if that can kind of bring up some issues there, uh, especially after that video surfaced on social media. Yeah, I mean, it was really dumb. There's, there's no defending it. It was a, it was a dumb thing to say. It was a dumb thing to do. I, I will say, you know, it looked to me like he was at a bar. Um, the buddy took the, you know, buddy of his who I think was also a Memphis player is the one who put the Snapchat up. 
um, you know, taking it. And, uh, you know, you can imagine you, you just left Memphis. All these guys have left Memphis. They're at a bar. They're, I'm sure some, some, some beverages are flowing and, you know, that kid takes a stupid video. So I don't know that, you know, we can characterize them as, as bad kids or just because of that, that one stupid incident, but it, it, it was, it was dumb. And, and, you know, with, with the Henry's, you look back on it and it worked out pretty good for Kansas. I mean, they got one really, really good year out of Xavier and, you know, I don't think CJ Henry really necessarily hurt the program. So, um, you know, if, if you get something similar to, to, to what happened there, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a win. Although I think Diedrich's, uh, going to be a much you know while Xavier was a good college player I think what you're going to get out of Diedrich is 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 much more and I think KJ is better than 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 CJ Henry was you know just comparing that 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 situation back then so I I think this is a a a big win for Kansas again CJ if the way you're defending a guy is saying that oh he was just at a bar with his buddy uh, you know, had too many drinks and said something stupid. That's I, again. I, I don't know KJ's age. I'm assuming as a freshman last year. I think did he? He was. He sped up his. He's, he's probably 21. Right? I'm sure he's 21 by now. Okay. He, he was. He's he's the older of the two because Diedrich reclassified. Diedrich was supposed to be a senior in high school his freshman year of college. He reclassified so he could play with his brother. Okay. Well, that's uh, again Diedrich. I'm sorry, KJ played the one year and then redshirted one year. So yeah, he'd be close to the. To K- the KJ is, is is 20 years old. So you know, yeah, he might have been in a bar drinking when he shouldn't have been. There but, you but go. Okay. Well, all, all, all I'm saying is, CJ, I, I understand. And we, you know, who knows? He might not have been drinking. He might have been at an 18 and over club. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying what I I thought I you know Let, what it looked like from uh, a video while I'm watching it on, on my couch at home. But yeah. It, it was stupid. There, there's no really, there's no really definitive. It was a stupid thing to do, and and you know, at some point, he should probably come out and apologize. I don't know if he has already or not. I haven't been following along that story too closely. Yeah, he did come out with some sort of statement that night, which again said that you know he took responsibility for his actions. But no, I, I, I definitely, I'll, you know what I'm saying here. I'm, I'm not trying to, to. to and that's, to, that's on your boy too. You, you got, you, know, you can't put that Snapchat out. Come on, you got to be smarter. <laughs> than that. Like, you always have to have fall guys, right? Exactly. Your, your fall guy. If if that's his fall guy, he can't be taking videos of him. It's just kids. Put your put your phones away while you're drinking and partying. Put he them was, away. He was singing into the camera. He knew what was going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, Again, it's a different oh, no, world. I'm sure, I, I'm sure he he knew. Yeah. I mean, just kids, put your phones away. That's that's all I have to say. It's a different world. Is all I'm saying. And, and um, you know you know what I'm saying too. Like. If you're defending him by saying he was in a bar with his buddy and being stupid, that's not a great defense. But we will see what happens. Again, this is moving forward, and uh, you know, Bill Self uh, announced just about an hour ago that they had signed the Lawson brothers and uh, also Charlie Moore. So there, you know, there was original bad fake. Jeff Goodman Twitter account saying that they might not take the Lawson brother, brothers because of this. That was obviously completely false. So, uh, you know, Bill Self will now get those guys and, and see what he can do with them from here. So let's go ahead and move on to Charlie Moore. Okay, you just got him five foot eleven point guard from Cal. What do you know about Charlie Moore? I haven't seen a ton of Charlie Moore play. I've watched a little bit of him, but I'll be honest, Cal wasn't a team I was I was watching super closely this year. So Knowing that KU was was a a, a chance to uh, land him yesterday, I texted a uh, scout just asking him what he thought of Charlie Moore, and I'll, I'll tell you what he says. He says he will score a lot of points in college, but won't play a second in the NBA. He doesn't ha- pass, and he said he has some big cojones. So, <laughs> how do you spell cojones? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
he, he used another term, but but when I told you off air, you, you didn't seem to like that term. So yeah, I tried no, to come up with something you, else. You cleaned it up for the kids. I appreciate that. Yeah, I cleaned it up for the kids. So, you know, to contradict what that, that Scott did say, he, he I looked it up. He had the second highest assist rate in Pac-12 games last year, Pac-12 players. So that kind of maybe contradict that he doesn't pass. But I definitely think he's a, he's a score for, first guard. To me, he's probably going to play that Devontae Graham role as in kind of the secondary guard, you know, hoping that you have maybe a primary handler like a Frank Mason um, next to him. I think he's a guy that you'll get for three years. And, um, you know, obviously because he's, he's 5'11", if, if that, you know, he's, gonna, he's not going to be a guy that's, that's going to bolt for the league. Like maybe, you know, Malik Newman, you're probably looking at maybe just having him for, for a year. So I, I will say I think this, this it's interesting that, that Bill Self is almost going the Gonzaga route, right? Like this is, you know, uh, two, two straight years where they're going to have quite a few transfers in the mix. And I think it's really, really smart. And I think it is a – you look at the kind of climate of college basketball, and obviously we saw Fred Hoiberg in the Big 12 have a lot of success with this. But Self's recruiting even a, kind of another level of, of, of transfers. And you look at the way the, the, the college basketball is right now, and you have – like with Kentucky, you know, taking all these one-and-done guys and their constant turnover – here you're also going to have a lot of turnover but you're getting guys who are at least in your system for a year before they even play and like a Dedrick Lawson you're getting an NBA quality player who is going to be a third or sorry fourth year he'll be a fourth year junior right yeah fourth year junior by the time he plays so I think that like I said earlier I think that's better than any one and done freshman you can get and you saw with Gonzaga how much success they had with just getting one year of, of Nigel Williams-Goss. And, I mean, there were there were three transfers in Gonzaga's starting lineup this past season. So I think it's a really, really smart way of going about things. If you can land the right guys and if they're good fits for your program, good character kids. I mean, the chance in the in the case of, of Charlie Moore, you know, he's a guy that, that left because his coach left. So I don't know that they're, you know, there's – you used to look at transfers back in the day as like, oh, kids that were, were flawed, you know, they were paying in the butts or something like that it's not like that anymore a lot of kids transfer out so if you can get really really high quality kids that have have proven themselves on a high level already that's almost better than getting freshmen yeah i think it works for bill self for one reason in particular which is the stability that he likes to have season to season and you know you see it with the 13 straight conference titles but this allows him to sleep better at night knowing not only is 2017 taken care of but no matter who decides to turn pro and who decides to leave you have those guys that you know in your practice gym and know what their strengths are know what their weaknesses are so when they step on the court you already kind of have an understanding of maybe how you want to use them or how you want to cater your offense so for him it just makes a lot of sense because he doesn't I'm not saying KU doesn't want the high ceiling guys they obviously have Josh Jackson Andrew Wiggins those sorts of players but this does give you stability year in and year out to kind of have Bill Self continue to do what he's done which is Mm -hmm. win the big 12 and and win a competitive conference and be secure in being the number one pick in that conference every single year because again you look at it this year he has Malik Newman stepping in and at the banquet says he believes he's going to be an all-conference type player and he's seen him in practice he knows what he can do same thing with Sam Cunliffe when he comes and is eligible in December he might already know some of the strengths and weaknesses of his game after seeing him in practice a full season so again it makes sense for the type of coach that Bill Self is I don't think it would make sense for John Calipari he seems to be a guy that that likes taking the one and dones and and taking kind of the high risk high reward guys oh they're 
they're out there after transfers too. They just haven't necessarily landed one. I mean, they they they've been in the mix for, for some of these kids too. I think I I think he'd be willing to if, if, if the right guy came along. All I'm saying is I think that Kentucky can have the highest of highs and it can be a little bit lower. There will be dips sometimes in years. We talked about the NIT mm-hmm. Robert Morris year. It just seems a lot less likely for that to happen with Kansas with what they're doing with their transfer system. It seems a lot li- less likely that all these guys that seem to be ready for positions in 2018 uh, will bust all at the same time and leave Kansas with a total dearth of talent at the university because, again, these guys are top 60 uh, rivals guys, all three of them that came in. So it just seems to fit the style really well. I, that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that, that other teams aren't trying to pursue these transfers. What I'm saying is it makes a lot of sense for Bill Self to use this sort of thing because what he values so much is winning that conference title and being a consistent team year after year after year. I think you'll see that with Kansas in the next few years. Yeah, and, I, you know, with, with Diedrich, I think – anybody in america would have taken him i mean i'd argue he's maybe the best transfer to ever hit the market in, in competition with with nigel williams goss i mean nigel williams goss was a second team all-american this past year um you know honestly my, my expectations for him his first year at kansas will be to, to play at an all-american level i mean i i can't i can't think of a transfer that's ever been out there as as far as talent and what he's done on the college level as as good a, as a Diedrich Lawson, I mean that's that's such a you, you talk about getting high ceiling kids. I mean for a college player, high ceiling college player, it's 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 uh you're not going to have guys like that come along very often. So that was I mean Duke was the I know another team that was interested in them. So that's a really really I can't emphasize enough how big a get that was for for KU and I I think that uh, Malik Newman was also a a really big get but they're different in that Malik didn't have as much success at his previous stop as as Diedrich did. Well it seems natural that Charlie Moore is going to step into that point guard spot right once Devontae Graham leaves. I know you said he might want to be a secondary ball handler but Again, when Devontae leaves, they don't really have too many point guards coming in. If you want to consider Marcus Garrett one, I guess. But uh, other than well, you, that, you, you got to see what happens in this next recruiting cycle too. I mean, they could go out and get a a, a big time freshman point true. guard coming in that, for that next year. So true. And but five eleven. I mean, you, you, Bill Self loves his combo guards, but five eleven. You, you got to be able to dribble the basketball a little bit if you're if you're playing at that. Level. Oh yeah, and because yeah, uh, for sure. Again, you look at Charlie Moore and kind of the. The weaknesses, other than what your scout said, I mean, he struggles to finish at the rim, which is what you expect from a 5'11 guy. I think he made 46% of his shots at the rim. Uh, NCAA averages around 60 uh, on hoop math. And then a guy that, again, 41% overall from two-point range. So uh, just needs to figure out ways to be able to score over the trees inside and a little bit high of a turnover rate. Uh, so that's that's something to work on too. But, again, KU gets, he was a, a, gets a year of him in the program, yeah. and that's him playing uh, as a freshman at a at a – you know, Pac-12 school, a very high competition school. So uh, we'll see where it goes from there. I did want to get some housekeeping in here, CJ. I went back to the podcast, something we should have been doing uh, all the whole time. But since this is the first kind of official podcast of the off season, I wanted to update all of us, uh, update everybody on the bets <laughs> that we had last season. So let's start with the scoring draft that we did. Uh, I'm sure you'll be most interested in this one. Uh, if you remember, we yeah we did the. Uh, the, who scores the most? You won the coin toss and got Josh Jackson. 
uh, lucky you. Uh, I took Frank Mason second, which was super smart. smart pick. That was a great and pick. You, and then, then your draft went to crap. And then I took Carlton Bragg <laughs> with the third pick. So I'll just run down who you had. Your first pick was Josh Jackson, 572 points. Fourth pick was Devontae Graham, 481. Sue McKaylee, 351. LeGerald Vick, 266. And Dwight Colby, 41. For a grand total of 1711. I had Frank Mason. 753, then Carlton Bragg with a third pick, 161. Landon Lucas with 279. Yudoka Azubuki would have been a great pick, but he got hurt. 55 points for him, and then I had to take Mitch Lightfoot at the end with 24 for a grand total of 1272. I will say that you got really lucky, though, CJ. I counted it up, and if Yudoka had played in the rest of KU's games, he only would have had to average 17.6 points per game for me to win this bet. So obviously, that's something. <laughs> he was going to do that, He right? was going to yeah. do it. I mean, he was on the verge of averaging 18 Baby points Shaq. per game yeah, t- in, yeah. in this season. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll give this to you, even though you got really, really lucky with the injury. Cool, and that's a that's a lunch, right? Uh, well, let's get to that because the next one we did was the over-unders with the three-point shooting. So uh, this was definitely for lunch at Grinders and the cheesesteak. I set the line over-under 41% for three-pointers for Devontae Graham. You said over. That was incorrect. He shot 39%. Uh, Frank Mason, 39%. I put the over-under at. You said under. That was definitely wrong. Frank Mason at 50% most of the year finished the season at 47%. You said you figured he'd be 38, 39% range. Who would have known he was going to be a national player there yeah. at the time? Svee McKayluk, I set the line at 37%. You said over because your nickname for him was Sveezus. That basically was your only justification. Svee McKayluk hit 40% of his threes. You got that right. Next one, LeGerald Vick said 38%. You said under. LeGerald Vick shot. What do you think he shot last season? Man, 39. He shot 37%. 37, so I hit that. You got that one right. So the yeah. the tiebreaker in this one, Josh Jackson, I set the line at 35%. You said he would probably shoot in the 33 to 34% range. Picking he was the there under. for so long. The correct answer was 38% for Josh Jackson. So... Or even Philly cheesesteak coming my way, unless you're uh, unless I'm paying for the first one with the scoring draft. Otherwise, it is even. I did want. So was the was the scoring draft just a lunch? Uh, yeah, I guess the, the lunches cancel out here. So uh, I owe you. Oh, one. we we you we we, we can still we can do two lunches and and uh, you know I'll pay for one, you'll pay for one. I'll just pick a really nice place. When, that's, when it's your turn. I say, who's paying for the steak dinner? I, the the one that one specifically was grinders. So I'm getting a Philly cheesesteak out of it some way. I, I do want to put down the schedules we both picked. If you remember, we picked game by game the schedules, uh-huh. win loss record for KU. You said 27 and four overall and 15 and three in the conference. I said 26 and five overall and. 16 and 2 in the conference. The correct answer was 28 and 3 overall and 16 and 2 in the conference. So I got the conference record right. You were a game closer on the overall schedule. So as we're not completely dumb when it comes to to picking KU games, or completely off when it came to our preseason predictions. Even Pretty though you there. you did say West Virginia would be in the four to five territory in the uh, Big 12 standings. That was uh, incredibly <laughs> and horribly wrong on your part. The last one, uh, the last two I wanted to bring up. Uh, I did get Baylor though, right? So you know, Baylor and West Virginia. I picked West Virginia for second. You picked Baylor. They both they tied. tied. They tied at twelve and six. So again, we both have half a brain when it comes to this stuff. We did go Oklahoma State and K State. That was for the Twitter avatar. Oklahoma State finished nine and nine in conference after that zero and six start. K State finished eight and ten. So you will have a day of my Twitter avatar uh, for one. We day. just said a day. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think twenty four hours. That's that's. You don't need it that's a what, week. That, you you listen to this. That's what we said. A day. 
I didn't listen to that, but I believe it was a day. Why would I give you a week of that? I mean, one day of embarrassment's enough, right? One day. All right. Well, I'll have to pick a good day. What's what's like when are a lot of people online? We'll go with like a Wednesday or something. Yeah. Well, you have to figure out a, a Twitter bio or profile pick too. Uh, Please, CJ Moore at CJ Moore BR. If you have suggestions, send them my way. And before you get too cocky, I went to the uh, synergy stats. So you talked all about Jackson. Josh Jackson's going to be a better shooter off the dribble than he is off the yeah, dribble. Yeah, I was wrong. That whatever. <laughs> Move along. <laughs> Josh Jackson, one point one seven points per possession on catch and shoot in the seventy sixth percentile. Point seven two three points per possession off the dribble in the forty second percentile. Wrong. Wrong. Well, you know, it was a hot take. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really hot take. Most hot takes are wrong, right? <laughs> All right, well, so that, that puts a nice bow on the uh, the, the picks for last year again. Uh, the fun to do and uh, not not too horribly off. I'm actually pretty happy with uh, how close we were on those, Steve, because at the time you just are kind of – you feel like you're throwing darts on those sort of things, and sometimes mm -hmm. sometimes we are throwing darts. Don't admit that, CJ. Don't admit that on any podcast anywhere. Uh, I'm right I, about everything. Yeah, exactly. Let's get the to, team. The team was wrong for shooting the percentages they shot. Yeah, Josh should have missed some of those threes. And yeah, that's right? all. That's all. I was on pace for like three fourths of the season. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some of these uh, Twitter questions. I asked for Twitter questions uh, online, and a lot of people came through again. Uh, Ku live tweets and news. One of our favorite ones. Ex expectations from Malik Newman. We talked about this a little bit, CJ. But what are you expecting from Malik next season? I think he will be Ku's leading scorer. And I think he's going to be a all-league guy, borderline All-American. I think he's really, really going to come out and play well. I think, you know, expect KU to be a top 10 level team all year just because it's pretty much what you can put it on the board every year for, the, for, for Bill Self to, to be that. And, um, you know, I think he'll have a good chance to, to win Big 12 Player of the Year because they're probably going to win the conference. And I think he's going to be much better than he was at, at Mississippi State. And, you know, from what I've heard from chatter from, from folks who, you know, coaches and stuff like that, is, is, is he's, he's, he's looking pretty good. So I, I think he's going to be a really good player. Agree. And, again, Bill Self doesn't throw around those sort of – um, expectations lightly, you know, saying an all-American type player. I mean, he he does try to boost guys up at the postseason banquet, but you know, he doesn't say that about guys he's expecting to average five or ten minutes a game. Of course, I say that, and I remember last year at the banquet how Carlton Bragg announced he was coming back, and there were big expectations for him, and that obviously didn't end the way that KU thought it would. But uh, yeah, he he seems to be really impressed with with what Malik has brought to practice and expects him to be a major scorer from day one. So I agree with you. I think uh, the, the leading scorer for Kansas next season is, is kind of the expectation for him and, and what he should do, stepping right into that role. Uh, a lot of people asking this same question uh, at T or from TD Derry on, uh, on Twitter. Will Bill Self embrace the new wave four-guard offense or will he go back to the traditional Self way of two bigs? So walk me through this, CJ, with the personnel that they have. Now you can see, I mean, unless Svee comes back, or I'm sorry, unless Svee leaves, KU has his 13 scholarship players now with those three transfers mm -hmm. who are not eligible. With the personnel they have now, if you're Bill Self, do you go four guards or do you go back to the old traditional two-big offense? I think they'll probably go back because Billy Preston will probably start at the four, and, and I would say he's more of a traditional, I guess, stretch four type. Um, but I, I do think, especially if Svee comes back, I could see them maybe even starting the year small, depending on how Preston does, 
in early season practices because you know you remember this time last year they were pretty high on Bragg and then he struggled early on in practice and and they figured out their best lineup was the the four smalls so I see them if C comes back I still see them go into that lineup some not nearly as much as as this past year especially if if Billy Preston pans out but um so yeah I, I think he won't be scared to go to it but you'll see more of the traditional way more than traditional than you saw this past year yeah it seems like maybe you do both now i mean i you look from luke Wynn. he talked about in his latest piece that uh, ku had the most efficient offense of the NCAA tournament last year and i think that's a pretty good indication of how good that four guard offense was working something they kind of drew up on the marker board as the season was starting you know i'm kind of torn on this because if you look at if Svi does come back you know, part of the reason that KU went to that four-guard look last year is they wanted to get playing time for both Svimakai Luke and Gerald Vick. Well, you look at the wing position for KU. If you're looking at, if you're in that same mindset again that you want to get more minutes for those guys, man, they're kind of crowded on the wing again. If you've got Malik Newman, you've got Marcus Garrett, you've got Sam Cunliffe transferring in, and then Gerald Vick and Svimakai Luke, and all those guys, if you think they're deserving of minutes, it's going to be hard to get them all minutes if you if you go back to that traditional two-big look. And it also brings up maybe the, the fact, again, that things can change, and things can change over the offseason, but if you looked at the two guys that probably you would think are the – weakest is the wrong word, but, but the guys that didn't get the most minutes last year that might still be behind playing time-wise, it would probably be Dwight Colby and Mitch Lightfoot. And mm-hmm. uh, if you play two true bigs – at least one of those guys is going to have to step up and play a lot more minutes for you. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum here that, that KU is kind of loaded at that wing position, but I, I don't know who plays your small ball for if that's the case. I mean, you kind of have to force like a Svee or a Gerald Vick into that role uh, if you did it. But again, you kind of want to get some of those wings in the game, and if you're trying to shy away from playing some of those guys you didn't play last year, uh, then a, a too big look isn't going to help you with that. So it's, it's an interesting conundrum looking at it in the offseason. And the problem is that, that- – Josh could really guard force. I mean, look at what he did in the NCAA tournament against Purdue and Caleb Swanigan. I mean, he was able to use his quickness to like keep him from from touching the ball in that game, and he he really was able to guard force. I don't know that Vic and Svi can. I, I know Svi has struggled with it guarding true post guys, and I, you know I don't know that Vic has the the size. Maybe Vic can figure it out, at least in small doses. I think if Svi ends up leaving, I would not be surprised if KU gets a grad transfer. I think that they could, you know, try to pull somebody late that's maybe like a four-ish type guy, maybe a three-four-ish type guy, maybe a guy that can play that that small ball role. So, if if Svi leaves, I don't know that KU's done. And what would make a lot of sense is a grad transfer, considering their current kind of scholarship situation yeah that kind of leads us to this next question from ty briggs if Svee comes back who is the starting three uh and who is the starting three by march so uh let's start with just Svee coming back what, what's your feel on that and then uh if he does come back then who do you think the starting three is oh man it's it's real i don't have a good feel for it i, I mean it, it was, it's just a guess at this point um i haven't really heard i've heard a little bit of rumblings but not a lot um, I, I, I almost think it's 50-50. What do you think, Jesse? I mean, from what you've heard and, and from talking to people, what do you think, whether he'll come back or not? I just think it's it's tough to know what's going on from his side, and it's a little bit different for him than other people 
just because of his family situation. It's, it's a lot less known what his family situation is back in Ukraine. And then also his motivation for coming to Kansas. I mean, did he come to Kansas to try to make sure he got in the NBA draft and to play here? Or, you know, if things don't work out and he doesn't get drafted, could he go overseas and still be happy with, with that path that he took? So we don't know financially yeah. where he's at. We don't know uh, kind of his own thoughts with it. And then, again, for KU, if you're looking at this, I mean, there was a very big motivation for Bill Self to know what Devontae Graham was going to do because KU needed a point guard. And if Devontae Graham left, then they could try to go on and get Trayvon Duvall. But if he kind of did that test the waters, don't know, and then left, KU would have been in real bad shape because they've been trying to play next season without a point guard. So the interest to make him... Uh, have a decision early you can understand for KU and then DeMonte Graham did them a big favor and announced that he was coming back and they kind of have that thing that position locked in now whereas I just talked about the wings with Kansas I mean they can kind of let Svi Luke test the waters and wait because my goodness you have all these other guys you have Malik Sam Cunliffe mm-hmm. uh, LeGerald Vick uh, Marcus Garrett all these guys that kind of fit this wing mold like not a point guard but not a big man mold so uh, that position seems to be covered if Sweet doesn't come back so uh, again I, I don't know the answer to this it would kind of involve more of knowing what is going on in Sweet's mind with his background with what he is, his family situation is but I think KU is a lot more um, open to letting him test the waters and figure out what he needs to do. If he comes back, great. If he doesn't come back, okay, they can adjust with, with the pieces they have. But Devonta Graham was kind of the big piece coming back next year because KU was going to need to fill in that position if he wasn't coming back. And it's not as easy to say, okay, he's not a first-round pick, which he's, he's probably not a first-round pick if he comes out this year, especially in this draft. Um, you know, he's maybe a second-rounder. You, you don't even know that for, for certain. But it's easier for a guy like Svee, who is an international player, to where if he doesn't get drafted or doesn't like his NBA situation, can go overseas a lot easier and probably get a more lucrative contract than maybe an American kid can because you know the way these, these international roster, these overseas rosters are set is they can only have so many American guys. So he doesn't hit against their American um, the number of guy, American guys they can have, right? So it's it's easier, you know. He's a more attractive candidate to go back overseas. While he did come here to play in the NBA, maybe he figures out, okay, you know, my future is brighter overseas for now um, than it is, and you know, maybe I go overseas and I sign one contract and I play three or four years, and then maybe I, I make the jump back over to America and play in the NBA. So we'll see. I mean, and, and at the same time, if he comes back, he is. You know he can play another year. I think he'll probably start, but it's it could be a coin flip between him and him Vic. And by the time he's you know next this time next year, what's how old is Svi right now? Is he twenty? Yeah, he's four months younger than Josh Jackson. So he's he's twenty. He's twenty, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be twenty one next year. Um, you know, it's still pretty young going into the draft, and you'll you'll be getting a guy who played four years of college basketball. So. Um, to come back, you know, weaker draft next year, could maybe come back and, and have an even better season. That's the attractive part of it. Or, you know, take your chances in the NBA or even go overseas. So there's there's a lot of options there for him, more so than, than your traditional American player. All right, let's get to Jeff Brack, the strategy, and we've talked about this a little bit, the strategy of recruiting transfers and the pros and cons of it. So quickly, the pros of recruiting these transfers, the cons of having these transfers. You get older guys. You get guys that you've been able to see what they, they can do on a college level. Um, the cons of it, you know, I guess you maybe don't get somebody for as long because they've used up some of their eligibility. But, you know, when you're looking at a guy like 
Diedrich Lawson, like I said, I, I think it's even better than, than a one-and-done freshman, even if he's a one-and-done transfer. And, you know, the, the, I don't know that there, there are a lot of cons in, unless you're just bringing in kids that are, that are questionable characters. But like I said earlier, I, I think there's less of that in the transfer market than maybe the perception used to be. Yeah, what do you think, Jesse? Well, the one con I was going to say, that, you know, the character thing does play into it because a lot of times that's kind of what is thrown around with transfers is you think that they might be leaving a situation. There might be, you know, some baggage there that comes along with them, and sometimes that is the case. Sometimes it's not the case. Uh, sometimes kids just legitimately transfer for good reasons. I was thinking, like, you know, Connor Frankamp. I think he went to get closer to home and have a different opportunity, and, it, you know, I, I think that worked probably out. worked out well for all parties there. Yeah. You know, okay, you got the scholarship back and used it in a different way, and Connor Frankamp went home, and he's playing well for Wichita State. So, I mean, I think it can work out well for all parties. The one thing I would say is um, for Kansas, KU, Bill Self is used to recruiting to the 13 scholarships. And, you know, not every program does this. You know, Kentucky mm-hmm. in the past is, you know, they recruit their 9 or 10 and then give their scholarships to walk-ons. But, again, you're talking about with Kansas, uh, one injury and one suspension away from being – Okay, everybody's got to play again because now you got these three transfers coming in and none of them are eligible this year. And then you add on Sam Sam Cunliffe, who is not eligible till the second semester. And again, I know those first semester games aren't as important, but in the first semester, KU's got nine guys who can play. I mean, other than walk-ons, so it does leave you a little bit thin if weird things happen. If there's a suspension, if there's an injury, whatever the case may be. Now. The rest of your guys are pretty talented. You usually can fill in for that sort of thing. But that also is one of the downsides of the transfer is that no matter how good Diedrich Lawson is, he can't help Kansas in 2017-2018. Same thing goes for Charlie Moore. So there is a little bit of a penalty there that uh, KU is going to play. I don't, I don't want to say shorthanded. KU never plays shorthanded. But if some other factors come into play, whatever they may be, it can leave KU with a thinner bench than Bill Self has had in years past. Yeah, uh, and that, the scholarship thing is, is the one – the one caveat there, but I will say that you, you, you typically only need seven or eight guys. And you also, if you have like 13, you know, if you have your max, a number of scholarship guys and they're all eligible, guess what? You're going to end up having kids transfer. <laughs> so you almost cut down on the, the likelihood of guys transferring by using some of those spots to have guys that are sitting out. Yeah, and as long as they stay, and Malik, Malik Newman did stay, and that was always kind of the worry with him that he might just practice here and then go pro. That has yeah, you could have that worry for Diedrich too. Yeah, that but that thing has not burned Kansas yet. That's I guess that's another con we should throw in there is that these guys there's nothing keeping them from practicing a year at Kansas and then deciding to go pro, which would leave KU empty-handed with the resources that they gave these kids. But again, that is always a possible option when you're talking about these high, high-end transfers that have NBA futures. Let's go lightning round on these last couple. From an analyst in KC on Twitter, uh, how does Graham entering senior season stack up statistically to Mason, not to say that he'll make the same leap? So what are your expectations for Graham compared to what your expectations were for Mason coming into the season? Well, I think my expectations for Mason kind of jumped right before the season. I, I kind of, I, I mean, I think we talked about this. I got the feeling, even after that draft, like a week later, I got the feeling I made the wrong pick <laughs> and kind of got the f- feeling that he was really going to kill it. Um, not to say he was going to kill it at the level that, that he did. I don't even think maybe Bill Self even saw that coming. You know, I don't know that anybody saw that coming. Um, I think that Graham. I say he av- – what do you average this past year, Jesse? I'll have to look it up. But uh, what? just talk about your expectations for him, and I'll, <laughs> I'll give you the number when you're done. Um, I think Graham averages like 13 to 14 a game. and or maybe maybe 14 to 15 a game. And then, you know, around the 
five assist range, five to six, five assists, about five assists range. All right, he averaged thirteen point four points this past season. So I say jumps up a, a point or two, maybe. Um, I, I don't think he's going to get anything close to what Mason did. I, I think that your primary guy scoring the ball is is going to be Newman. So I think he's he's kind of your secondary scorer. So pr- probably in that fifteen to sixteen range. Yeah, and here's my concern for Devonte Graham and again, great player great guy all those things you want to add up and again did KU a, a huge favor by announcing he was coming back early so they didn't have to worry about their point guard situation he's going to be like Mason last year where I think he's going to be in there almost every available minute just expect him to play 36 to 38 minutes a game which will help with those point per game averages um, but you look the one stat uh, you look at is usage percentage and this is kind of like the Josh McRoberts rule Josh McRoberts came to Duke he was supposed to take over be the go-to guy a bunch of their good players left and he still kind of remained as a role player uh, Ken Pomeroy had a study back in the day that it's really tough for guys to change drastically in one season the role that they have offensively and so you look at usage mm-hmm. percentage uh, for Devontae Graham's first three seasons 19 percent which is below average 17% his second season, which is well below average, and the last year, 18%. So you heard Bill Self talk all the time about how he deferred for what was better for the team. You know, He let Josh Jackson and Frank Mason take over, and that was good for the team. But it's really difficult to be a role player, role player, role player, go-to guy. And so I would expect him to get that up there. You know, I was looking back a few years ago. Elijah Johnson and Jeff Withy kind of had the same thing, similar thing after uh, Thomas Robinson and Tyshawn Taylor left where they were kind of the role player types. They upped it to like the 21, 22% usage range. I'd expect that for Devontae Graham. You know, he can, he can up that a little bit. But, you know, Josh Jackson last year was like 28, 29%. You know, Frank Mace was at 26, 27%. I just don't see Devontae Graham turning himself from role player into complete go-to guy in the span of a year just because usually you kind of are the guy you are, and, and what he's been for Kansas so far has been a good distributor. And, and I think he is a really, really good passer, and I could see his assist numbers going up quite a bit more but just because he's going to have the ball in his, in his hands a lot more. I could see him kind of maybe – I just looked up Monte Morris's stat line from this past year, 16.4 points, 6.2 assists. I could see him maybe putting up something similar to that. Maybe not quite. I mean, Morris was awesome. So, you know, that's that's a really, really high expectation to say he's, like, going to be a Monte Morris-level guy. But I, I could see him maybe putting up something similar to that. And here's the concern, and Joe, I think, hits it really well on Twitter. Should guards attacking be KU's biggest concern since Mason is gone? Because... Devontae Graham has a different type of game. And we talked about mm-hmm. this before. When he drove, he drove to a pull-up shot. He drove to a 15-footer. Whereas, that's, that's, that's Newman as well. Whereas Frank Mason is the guy that would drive to get to the rim and score or drive to kick out. And, you know, Devontae Graham can drive to kick, but that might be the one thing in the offseason uh, that you really – if he was getting feedback from NBA personnel to say, hey, we want to see you drive – with authority, get to the rim and score. And the thing about it is, Devontae Graham is really good scoring uh, from the last numbers I checked from a hoop and that scoring in transition. He's very good scoring at the rim. So he has that in him. It's just it's a it's a matter of confidence. It's a matter of knowing you're not going to get blocked or relying on your teammates to shield off guys or finishing with both hands, that sort of thing. But that might be the most. That's a very important point I think that Joe's making is that the guys that really created for KU in the half court with that four guard offense that could drive and create for others were Frank Mason and Josh Jackson primarily and so Devontae Graham could add that element to his game that could help him take it to no, to another level as well and that's why I think with this particular team you are going to see more of the the high low uh, approach and more of the ball movement maybe 
and, and less of just the driving and kicking approach because the personnel necessarily doesn't really fit that as much. I mean, Vic is kind of a slashing guy, but he's he's not much of a passer. Um, you know, Svee can, can drive a kick a little bit. You might see – if Svee comes back, you might see him handling it a, a little bit more than he did this past year because he is capable of doing some of those things. But, you know, with, with like Frank – he improved what he improved so much was his three-point shooting and be able to, to shoot like off the dribble that those sorts of things that's almost easier to work on in the offseason than it is to okay i'm going to try to fit, work on my attacking the lane attacking yes. the basket those kind of shots you can work on those but it's 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 easier in the offseason to work on your outside game than it necessarily is that that to to, to replicate that right and, and work out so um it, it's definitely going to be a challenge but you you know that is one thing that he needs to improve on and, and you will see him i'm i'm sure trying to make that a point of hey i got to get to the basket and i got to finish some and, and he's capable of doing it he just that's not not something he's ever really done at a super high level yeah it's 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 the april concerns you talk about because again right now Devonte graham is a better scorer when other people create shots for him. When Frank Mason mm-hmm. created a shot for him, he shot a three. And I've talked about it all the time. He's a great spot-up shooter. And I would have, you know, he shot a bunch of threes this year. I think that's his strength and that's what he should be doing. But now they're going to have him need to do a little bit more or something a little bit different. It's almost, and again, not a perfect parallel, it almost reminds you a little bit of like Elijah Johnson, kind of what he was asked to do uh, when he became point guard. A little bit. And, and wasn't always yeah. comfortable with it. Because again, it's, it's a tough thing to ask a guy to do when that's not what he's done and it's not what he's most comfortable with. So we'll see how Devontae Graham handles it. Again, that's anecdotal. That's only one person in the past that I'm, I'm comparing this to, but I agree with your point that it's easier to correct your or improve your three-point shot than it is to say, I'm going to become the next Frank Mason now and score at the rim and be comfortable with drives because that's kind of a completely different skill set and you have to work on, on a completely different um, – uh, a lot of different things to get that sort of uh, that sort of quality to come out in games. The last one, CJ from Dynamite Hawk. You have to end on this one: Taco John's tacos. <laughs> Discuss. Discuss. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I haven't had Taco John's tacos many, many times in my life. I have had them some, but one, you know, I grew up in Kansas City. I don't. I, I did see. We just got a tweet that there's one in Olathe. Um, I'll be honest with you folks. I, I, I don't go to Olathe very often. So there's basically not one near me. I did go to the one in Lawrence some when I was in school. And the thing with Taco John's that I always fell in love with is the potato Olays with cheese sauce. I mean, I may have been guilty of like on a drive home from a, from a, some kind of interview or something at KU stopping by getting some potato Olays with cheese sauce and that's it just like as a little snack but Jesse you don't get this level of sexiness in a 32 year old man that I have developed by eating a lot of fast food so I don't eat a lot of fast food so I, I don't I don't frequent places like Taco John's I will tell you Best tacos in Kansas City best salsa I had today with my lovely wife we went to Anita's in Merriam, very very good spot. Little hole in the wall. Give give them a little shout out because that's that's what I got going on in my stomach right now, and it was delicious. But uh, Taco John's is is for fast food tacos. Uh, I think it's it's up there near the the top for sure. Definitely way better than the Bell. That's why we have no sponsors. We just you know give this free advertisement to these people that we like. But I like you being so confident in yourself too. You know you you, you still got that swag no matter what we're talking about. You know tacos <laughs> or food. But I agree with you on the uh, the taco olays and. I'm actually potato lays. The potato lays. Yeah. I am actually 
closer to a Taco John's restaurant than any other restaurant. My house is located about four blocks from Taco John's. So. And you grew up in Emporia where there's there's Taco John's. Is there more than one Taco John's? There's at least one, I there know. Are, no, there are no Taco John's in Emporia. I thought there was an, one in Emporia. No, is there used, not? There used to be a Taco Tico, uh, but then... Oh, uh, okay. But no, I'm, the, the, I'm, I'm the, mistaken. The thing about taco- I spent two years there. I, I, I obviously uh, d- d- wasn't paying much attention. Yeah, you should have <laughs> known. You should have known. You obviously didn't go to Taco John's very often. Yeah, the problem with that Taco John's in Emporia, and this is just... Um, you're having to compete with real, authentic Mexican food. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's a little tough in Emporia to to sell a Taco John's. That's just I I, I understand Taco John's staying away there. But as far as fast food goes, if I'm wanting my Mexican food, I'm wanting it with potato lays. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. Oh. Who, who who doesn't potato want lays are, who doesn't want delicious? Who doesn't want Mexican food with potato? Basically tater tots. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the best. Yeah, they that's that's the best part to, to Taco John's. I did see on their Twitter account today. Because I looked it up, uh, it looked like they they they're stepping their game up with like maybe some carnitas tacos or something. It, it looked it looked tasty. So next time I'm in Lawrence, I might we might have to hit up the uh, the, the Taco Johns just because you know it came up on the podcast. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds <laughs> Those good. potato lays are, make, are are making me hungry. Yeah. Well, again, you you don't have the CJ Moore body biting a bunch of them, but uh, yeah, you don't. But don't. so it's it's a tough dilemma for you uh, to try to figure out every single day. Well, thanks everyone out there for checking out the Sports Beat KC podcast. For CJ, this is Jesse. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week.